Times Like Now is an interview program. Interviews with interesting people who are doing cool stuff. My name is Trevor Collins. Thank you for tuning in to the program. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Howard Librand, the Skagit County, Washington health officer. This is part one of a two-part episode. We'll be speaking about COVID, about vaccines, about variants, and about some alternative medical treatments that are making the news. This is Times Like Now. Dr. Librand, thank you so much for joining me on the program today. Thank you for having me. So a quick introduction to Dr. Howard Librand. A little bit of your background or your specialty, your pedigree, if you will. Okay, well, I'm it's I'm sort of becoming the old guy on the block because I've been in in public health here in Skagit County for 31 years. Um, I've been an emergency room physician for most of those years. Most recently, here in the last couple of years, I've I went back and got a board certification in addiction medicine, and that's sort of my day job. Um, halftime that with halftime health officer in Skagit County and now Island counties. So 31 years of experience in public health. And I'll have to say that this is by far the most um, significant situation we've been in in public health in those 31 years. Very much. I I can imagine that. So a, a bit more of background. In the earliest days of covid one of our first cases that came through Washington State and in this area in particular made some international and national news, and you were involved in this in the church choir. Right, the infamous choir. It's a community choir that was um, that did its practices in a church building, so it really wasn't a church choir. Um, that's a subtle nuance, I guess. And of the uh, 63 people that attended this one setting, 56 of them, I believe, um, became ill either and tested positive for COVID or um, just became ill in that setting and were assumed to have COVID. That was back in the days when testing wasn't very available. And then, unfortunately, two of those individuals went on to die of the disease um, in just in the first few weeks of the of the um major portion of the pandemic and that became kind of Start. a that became a, a a big to do because of the kind of the controlled environment of that all these people in the same building at the same time so that was why you were kind of uh, the doctor of the moment being interviewed by some big publications right and they we um at the health department um led by Leah Hamner, um, our epidemiologist, wrote an article for the CDC MMWR weekly report. And this was important because it sort of established the super spreader nature of this of this COVID virus, that you could have that many people become ill from one exposure. It also started us thinking about whether this was actually airborne um, and not just droplet. I think there's um, some subtle um, nuances there where it's a continuum, but it, it at least got us thinking about how infectious this was. And it set the tone for our county because we could refer to this horrendous event and um, 
use it to explain why we wanted to do what we wanted to do. And then on a national um, on a national level, once this CDC MMWR reports was was published, it quickly became at the time the most cited re- uh, CDC report during the pandemic. And mostly that was because the fact that this was singing in a church and people were thinking early on about getting back to their places of worship and whether they should be, could be singing, how dangerous that was. And I, I think that this clearly showed early on how dangerous this this illness could be. And you, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you not working uh, closely or kind of uh, reaching out with um, Governor Inslee in the state of Washington? Well, we, the... Um, the health, the health departments of each of the local jurisdictions, each county health department, um, we pretty much meet every Friday with Department of Health. And Department of Health is, during this entire pandemic, has been closely associated with uh, Governor Inslee and have been the w- one of the big driving forces behind his uh, desire to do what's medically right and what's supported by science and what has the best um, hope of um, containing this illness. Um, I don't, I was on a few calls with him directly, but I don't know that I worked actually with him, but on a, on a regular basis, but it's, it's certainly, um, in Washington state, the policy of the governor is driven by public health. Right now. So jumping forward, those were the, the, the first days of COVID, of my how far we have come now and things have been getting more and more uh, erratic and and chaotic out I guess on the streets and in the public and uh, arena things are getting weird and I know you're not a psychologist but what is the what is the root of this fear of vaccine in your opinions, again, not as a psychologist, but this is the ground that we're on now. And people seem to be very uh, resistant to get this vaccine, even medical professionals, which I find. Well, we can stunning. come back to that particular issue. But the, the basic distrust okay. in government, um, it, it's kind of interesting to me that um, the that the Republican president who was in office at the time that the vaccine um, was developed, um, really wanted and rightfully so to take credit for at least um, at least being supportive of that effort. But it's it's so turned around now that um, you know, frankly, the the political divide um, has spread over into the area of medicine so dramatically that the majority of unvaccinated people are Republicans. And I, I find that very intriguing. Um, it's kind of like there's an, a self-perpetuating, self-initiated, self-perpetuating echo chamber where um, the, the distrust of the government, the distrust of science, the distrust of medicine, all sort of gets focused on this one thing. And, you know, there was, there's always been people who are concerned about vaccines. Um, and there's, there's a lot of uh, politics and 
um, even outright scams that have gone on to um, support that distrust. Um, but it's, it's spread so completely um, now with um, this particular issue. And um, I think it's because we've politicized medicine, which shouldn't be politicized. Um, and there is no political benefit um, to, the, to the vaccine, to the treatments that we use, yet they are divided politically. So it, it's perplexing to me. Um, it's always been perplexing to me that people would uh, not support something that um, is so clearly effective and also so clearly safe, safer than the diseases it's intended to, um, to prevent. So, Well, certainly, uh, what, what, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but it's over how many million, 60 million in the United States have been vaccinated? So there's been um, 300 least. million doses given. 300 million. That's, that's what I read. I was, I, I was thinking it was 320 million, but I, I think it was somewhere in that range. And, and that, that's some people get okay. two vaccines, obviously. So that um, doesn't mean that there's that many right. fully vaccinated people. It almost seems that the, the fear of the vaccine is or has become a virus of its own, a, an internet meme of sorts, or a, as we said earlier, a, a echo chamber of sorts that's perpetuating this virus uh, amongst, as you said, a lot of uh, more conservative leaning people. Um, now, all the while that this is going on, hospitals are filling up with unvaccinated people and morgues are bringing trucks to the hospitals. It's tragic. Yes, it certainly is. And, you know, not to say that the vaccine is perfect, because no vaccine is perfect. Um, you know, we when we first um, when we first delivered the vaccine to the American people, um, December, January, almost a year ago now, um, the predominant strain was the natural strain of of, um, of COVID, and it was probably ninety five percent effective against that, and you know, that in itself sounds like a big number, um, a good number. And that's true. It is. But when you talk about giving it to 300 million people, the number of people whom the vaccine doesn't protect is pretty substantial. You can do the math. But um, so you're, you're not completely protected from getting this vaccine, but you're so much better off than if you didn't have the vaccine. And then in the people who do get it, um, it's far less dangerous um, who get the vac the people who do get covid after having the vaccine we call them breakthrough cases um, they they do much better there's a much lower incidence of hospitalization serious illness and death now those the 95% number was against the original strain the the vaccine is I was going to say not as effective against the Delta variant, but it is, that's um, a little bit short selling the vaccine because the vaccine is far more contagious. So whether you're vaccinated, let's back up. The virus is far more contagious. 
variant. The yeah. virus, exactly. The virus. The Delta is variant contagious. is yes. far more contagious. And whether you're vaccinated or not, you are more likely to get the Delta variant than you would have been to get the original uh, COVID natural strain. So, right. But right now in hospitalizations nation nationwide, over 90% of the people who are hospitalized um, are unvaccinated. Um, and of the four people that I personally know who have had COVID, three were vaccinated. They were all at home. Of course, they were not well. It was very a bad flu. But of the four that I know, three have been vaccinated. The one who was unvaccinated was in the hospital for over a week, fortunately recovered. This was an, uh, an older person. Um, but yeah, that's three out of four. But obviously Delta, uh, I believe. We have to be careful with statistics too, because um, three of the four people that you know who got this disease were vaccinated. That's because you probably tend to hang out with vaccinated people. Whereas the general in the general population, it would be more like um, 10 to one, eight to one, instead of three to four like you, like is in your experience. Right, right, understand. So as we were discussing earlier, uh, some, some issues have come up with side effects of this vaccine. Uh, Senator Johnson of Wisconsin, uh, bringing patients to uh, Capitol Hill to uh, tell their stories. And there was a few people. Uh, I did notice they were all women, coincidentally or not, uh, can, had gone through partial par paralysis. Now, you yeah, had a name for this. Uh, we're probably what, talking what? about Guillain-Barre Guillain syndrome. Um, it's, um, it's actually a fairly common situation that arises from many different viral infections and um, several of the vaccines historically, we've seen an increase in the amount of Guillain-Barre syndrome. And people think what, that it's probably just a, um, a body, part of the body's immune system overreacting to the virus that's infecting it or to the vaccine that is, has been given to it. And then that causes a temporary but very bothersome um, paralysis and numbness. The, the almost universally, the people with Guillain-Barre syndrome uh, recover. It sometimes takes anywhere from two to six months. And very, very rarely, some are left with continued paralysis. Um, just to put it in perspective. But how, how prevalent is that? How right. often does this kind of thing happen, do you think? It has occurred mostly in the current day with, um, you know, in regard to COVID vaccines, it's occurred with the J&J &J, uh, vaccine, Johnson & Johnson. That's right. the Johnson & Johnson. Um, and okay. it, there's been about 13 for every million people who get the vaccine uh, report having this Guillain-Barre syndrome. Now, you know, in my experience... Thirteen yes. per million. And in my experience as an emergency room physician, we would see multiple Guillain-Barre cases throughout the year. Um, not a huge number, but enough so that it was easily recognizable, and that you, you know, it was sort of one of the things you thought about. And those were caused by, apparently, viruses. Um, some of them may have been caused by vaccine. I don't, I don't know, and you, you, there's no way to pinpoint. But 
there is a background level of Guillain-Barre in the community all the time. Um, and you'll hear that refrain with the other things we're going to talk about here too. But in the cases that we are aware of, um, there's been at least at the time that 14 and a half million J and J vaccines were given, uh, there were 13 per million at that point. So that's hundreds of people who got this temporary, um, very bothersome problem that resolved. Um, so just to, to jump ahead just a little bit and just to, I guess, uh, educate some that may not know, can you fairly quickly, concisely explain how mRNA vaccine works in the human body against the COVID virus? Just so we're all on the same page and anyone listening that doesn't know how mRNA might be working. Yeah, so all vaccines work very basically work in the same way. What they do is they show the body a a variation of the of the pathogen of the germ that they're trying to teach the body to fight and once the body has seen this either a a dead virus a dead bacteria or one that's been inactivated so that it's no longer contagious or a portion of the protein that makes that's unique to that uh, that germ once the body's seen that then um it's um, able then to mount a quicker immune response and get on top of that infection before it becomes a problem. It's kind of like um, showing the Revolutionary Army the red coats uniform, so they would know how to recognize them. Um, didn't... Okay, that is a, yeah. a great so, explanation, a and, great and visual. So that's 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 um, changed over the years. The original. Um, vaccines that we use. For example, cowpox was used to teach the body what smallpox look like without infecting you because cowpox and smallpox share a lot of the same traits, but they um, the cowpox doesn't cause disease in humans. So or doesn't cause serious deadly disease in humans. So the body learned by being exposed to cowpox, it learned how to fight smallpox. Um, there's other other um, inactivated um, viruses and bacteria. There's um, throughout the years have been have been used like this. So fast forward to where we are right now. The um, the RNA is a messenger um, is a messenger that tells the body what proteins to make. So the the DNA in your cell in your cell nucleus, codes an mRNA messenger um, fragment that then leaves the nucleus of the cell, goes out to the, um, the protein synthesis portion of the cell, and tells the cell what proteins to make. Then that mRNA, um, that RNA messenger called an mRNA is then destroyed. And that happens within hours of when the message was made. And that, that, that's continuously going on in your cell. So what, what they've done with the, um, well, let's, let's even explain this a little bit more too. 
the way a virus works is a virus cannot live alone without a host cell because it doesn't have the ability to synthesize proteins. So what a virus does is it's just a little capsule of RNA or DNA, and it fuses with the human cell um, wall and puts that message into the cell, which then tells the cell protein synthesis um, manufacturing equipment what to do. And it churns out all these proteins, which then join up and make viruses and burst the cell. And then this, all these viruses go out and do the same thing. So what we've done in the, that, that's okay. dangerous. I mean, you get sick from that sort of thing. So what we've done is we've taken a little portion of the, um, the genome of the, the virus, and we've used that to knowing what that gene sequence is. We make an mRNA, synthesize it, really. Uh, it doesn't come from um, COVID virus. We, we make it. And it then we put that message. It's a recipe for a protein. We put that into a little lipid capsule. The capsule is injected into the muscle. And that little capsule joins with the muscle cell and injects that mRNA into the cell not into the nucleus of the cell, but just into the cell. And it's picked up by the, by the um, protein synthesis mechanism. And a protein is made, which is specific and only found in the spike of the COVID virus. And once that protein is made, then the right. body recognizes it as a foreigner and starts a response against it. And that is the basis of the immune response that, that happens. Now that's mRNA. Okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to to continue this idea. The mutation of viruses uh, uh, certainly makes our science and our medicine have to mutate the vaccine, and that's why we have a different flu shot or a variant of a flu shot that's each correct. year. Correct. I said that's I'm correct. Sorry. Now. The Okay, my, I had a little audio glitch there. So I heard, uh, overheard that the flu shots that we receive today in 2021 still contain a bit of the information, I guess, from the 1918 Spanish flu, because that is still mutating in the... Is that true? Well, I think that's a considerable overstatement. So the, the flu shot doesn't have the entire gene sequence of the virus, of the flu virus in it. It only has very specific pieces of that, um, of the viral genome or the viral protein sequence, really. Okay. And um, it just so happened that the 1918 flu was very similar to the 2009 swine flu, which was similar to another swine flu that was seen earlier. So if you were able to... Um, know what was coming down the pike um, and kind of recycle the information from those. Um, it is very similar. The 2009 was very similar to the 2000, I mean, to the 1918. So it, um, okay. but you're not, you don't really have a memory of the, of the 1918 in your flu shot. Um, they're all just very similar with small variations that make them 
Right. I mean, that, that was, I was what I was getting to is the, the mutation of it, the, the evolution of it. Right. So the, the thing that's, that's comforting about COVID, if anything can be, um, our ability to make the, let me put that another way. The, 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 the spike protein on the COVID virus um, is what matches with the human cells to actually infect the cell. The spike protein is also what the vaccine is made to match. So that causes our body to make antibodies, which match with that spike protein. So if, um, if the virus mutates its spike protein so that it's not recognized by our antibodies, which were made by either previous infection or by getting a vaccination, if it, if it mutates it enough so that, we, that they're no longer recognized, it also isn't recognized by the, um, the, the receptor on the human cell. So it's no longer contagious to the humans. So there's kind of a little protection, I think, that's serendipitously built in there where a variant that's too much of a variant for the, um, our immunity to recognize is also too much of a variant to be contagious for us. That's not totally true, but so, um, that's a general rule, I think, that's protecting us because a variant which could evade our antibodies um, is a variant that isn't infectious. So it doesn't propagate. It doesn't, it doesn't do its thing in the cell. So it can't infect the next host. So the, the latest variations that we're dealing with, of course, is Delta. We also hear the word Lambda. And the new one that I've been hearing is, is it pronounced Mu or is it M-U? There's also, yes, Mu, Mu, I think, Mu. And there's also Epsilon. Um, I, we don't know about a lot about them yet. Um, we do know that there is um, a small amount of all of those circulating in the United States, but it's certainly not uh, becoming the prompt predominant strain at this point. And there will be more. As long as we have the hugely high rates that we have right now, there's just a big um, petri dish of of mutations going on with all these huge numbers of infections that we have. So the likelihood of there being a new variant that's more contagious or more more dangerous in some way, I, I think as long as we keep our rates this high, it's it's pretty likely that we're going to come up with another variant that's a problem. The frightening statistic, speaking of statistics, that I heard today, 52% of Americans say that they won't be vaxxed under any circumstances. That sounds very troubling, given everything that you've just explained. You're saying that 52% won't get a vaccine? That's what I heard today that, upon uh, That's interesting NPR. because more than that already have. I would say of the remaining, the remaining people who are, right. who are so not. Right, so herd immunity is an interesting thing because it depends upon the infectivity of the virus. Back when we were developing our vaccination uh, strategies, um, the, the infectivity of the virus as measured by the R-naught number was... Um, maybe 2.3, I think, was the number that was um, most common 
That is, one will give it yes. to 2.3. And that's people who, don't, who aren't doing anything to protect themselves. And we got that number down to around one. That's why, um, that's why the natural virus is gone, essentially. Um, and when it's at one, less than one, then the infections gradually die out. And if your virus, um, if your R-naught value is 2.3, it takes approximately 70% herd immunity to counter that. Dr. Lybrand, I'm going to stop you right there. Put this into a two-part program to uh, cut this now, and then we'll come back with part two. Thank you for listening to this episode of Times Like Now. Past episodes can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Part two of my interview with Dr. Howard Lybrand will be next week. Thank you to the letter J, Cody Robertson, for original music. I'm Trevor Collins, and I can be reached trevor at timeslikenow.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to speaking with you all next time.